In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Juan waiting on it. Rocks at the deep right field. Goodbye. Steven Kwan ambushed him. He threw a fastball, and Kwan knocks it out of the yard for his fifth home run of the year to make it 2-0 Cleveland. Home run call of the day, Stephen Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians. Going deep. What's a better way? Is there a better way? There's not a better way to start a day, start a week. And it's a big week. It's trade deadline week. The clock is ticking towards 6 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. That is trade deadline time. And we have you covered. We've had you covered. We continue to have you covered. And today we're going to kick things off with a most valuable, valuable exercise. And that is telling everybody who exactly these guys, all these teams are getting back in all these trades. You know the major leaguers. You know the ones that are buying. You know the, the, how you're helping those teams. But who are the minor leaguers? Like you're Googling, you're YouTubing, you're trying to figure this out to look smart. Because this is your future. All these people who are coming back to, to supplement your team, to be, the, to be the, the reason why you have any hope at all. Well, we have a guy who can help you with that. We have a guy who's going to make you look smart. We have a guy who's going to tell you what's what when it comes to all the minor leaguers who are involved in these deals. And that's Sam Dykstra of MLB Pipeline, friend of the program, been on a couple times now. And Sam jumps aboard at a most pivotal time. And he tells us exactly who he likes of all these minor leaguers, who they are, tells them, tells us who they are, all of them, and also who he likes, the guys that he feels like are, are the, the best returns when it comes to these trades, major leaguers for minor leaguers. And it's a very, very valuable exercise, no question about it. So in synopsis, after we taped this, the Cardinals also made a few moves. Jordan Montgomery going to the Rangers with Chris Stratton and also Jordan Hicksco and the Blue Jays. The, the biggest takeaway from that in synopsis, that you got pieces back that are going to help especially in the Jordan Montgomery deal with the Texas Rangers, they're going to help the Major League team next year. So uh, Sam doesn't think that there's going to be that much of a pain threshold for the 2024 St. Louis Cardinals. But I tell you what, you listen to this, you're a Mets fan, you're going to feel good about things. But you know what? Judge for yourself. Subscribe, rate, review, at BB isn't boring. At BB isn't boring. The Twitter account, the Instagram account. Producer Evan doing an awesome, awesome job. And of course, t-shirts. 50% off. Swing juice. Happy birthday, swing juice. 
the the people who are so kind and so creative and so talented to make the baseballs and boring t-shirts. And for all of you people in Los Angeles, listen, there's no better way to celebrate the return of Joe Kelly than to buy a damn near perfect game and shooting up the charts ever since he, his plane landed in L.A. once again. All right. Well, speaking of landing, we landed this podcast. It's a good one. Sam Dykstra tells us who is good and who isn't good, who and who should be optimistic coming out of this trade deadline so far. There you go, Sam Dykstra. He comes on because we gave him a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if more podcasts do it, I would appear on more podcasts. I know. The, the power of the T-shirt is such a thing. Um, and as, as I found, not only with you, Sam Dykstra of MLB Pipeline, uh, nowhere of all things minor league baseball and a lot of other things in life, I'm sure. But um, but also, I have learned this through baseball players. It's crazy, Sam. It's nuts. It's like if you give a guy who's making whatever it is, let's say conservatively $10 million a year, a T-shirt, his eyes light up. I, I was in the Mets clubhouse the other day, and I did an interview with Adam Montavino, and a very nice guy. I always like talking to him and everything. We do the interview. But I don't give him a T-shirt, but I would give him, he's fine. And then I'm just standing around, and he walks by. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I got one in my bag. You want a T-shirt? And it was like, oh my god! I just gave him like another ten million. It was. <laughs> it was uh, anyway, well, speaking of speaking of giving things uh, that people like um, for some absurd reason, sometimes not all the time, but sometimes prospects. I, I, I mean, from your perspective, and we're going to go through. You are going to be maybe the most valuable person that could ever come on this podcast right now, or any podcast. To be honest with you, Sam. Because when you when you watch this stuff, when you see these trades, we all focus on like for instance Max Scherzer. Do you immediately like pivot to the other guy, the guy that like everyone's scrambling to find YouTube clips of? Oh yeah, I mean last night's trade between the Mets and the Rangers is the Acuna trade in my mind. Like that's just the way it works. <laughs> that's that's how it directly affects my life. That's how it directly affects my work. But like. Yeah, everybody's trying to figure out, oh, it's a little weird. Max Scherzer got moved. He's a Cy Young winner. What is that like? And I'm like, they got Luis Angel Acuna. That's pretty good. Like he's <laughs> he's the number one prospect in the Mets. Like, we don't have him at number one now, but we're about to re-rank and he's gonna be number one. Like, that's a big deal in my world, and that's how I'm gonna think about it. That's great. I love that. I absolutely love that. And by the way, so I, what we're gonna do, I think, we'll we'll start back at the Chapman trade, go all the way back, and then we'll go through and you can just give me what your sort of take on the prospects coming back. And then I'll just ask you like who made out the best. Mm-hmm. And um but I will say this, a year ago today, as we're taping this, Luis Castillo trade, and it's it's kind of nuts what the Reds did, right? Like how they how well they've done. Um, and I'm not even talking about the Sonny Gray deal, which, you know, they did pretty well with in terms of, I think, their number five overall prospect in that deal, um, if I remember right. But the going back to a year ago today, Luis Castillo – and they got back their top two prospects right now. Their top two guys, according to MLB Pipeline, their top two guys right now. And I know there's other guys on the major leagues. And then we're not even talking about um, uh, what's his name, Encarnacion, um, Encarnacion Strand, yeah, Strand, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we weren't even talking about him. Who was another deal? Like this is so. This is why we're doing this exercise, him. 
because it's important. It's important. Right. I mean, you look at that red system now, it's, it, I'm not going to put it on the same level of the Orioles, but like the problem the Orioles are having is they have too many position player prospects and they're all backing up. And that's a good problem to have when you're competing. The Reds just keep calling these guys up. You look at Spencer Steer was acquired in that same trade with Encarnacion Strand. He's been a really good rookie for them this year. Noel V. Marte keeps banging on the door. Edwin Arroyo, there are some mixed right, opinions those, out. Those are the two guys that get back for Castillo. Right. Yeah. Marte and Arroyo. Yeah. Um, there are some mixed opinions out there about Arroyo, but we think he's a really strong defender. It's short as if they need another shortstop. They have Matt McLean and Ellie De La Cruz at the major league level. Like the Reds have worked their way into a good problem uh, very quickly, like much quicker than anybody was expecting this time last year when that trade happened. By the way, also, side note, Jackson Holiday, he has a T-shirt. So there you go. I saw it was like an O's themed one. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got it. We got them all. We got them all. We got them all. We got, we got all kinds of colors, all kinds of, and the Orioles. And I, so that was at the all-star game, obviously. And um, so I'm like, you know, of all the, the piles of t-shirts that I have, I have way too many of these Orioles. Cause I want, I'm toying with the idea of this. I've either given them to like all those fans in that bird bath, that, that section or giving <laughs> them fun, co- yeah. continuing to give them to the players which, you know, you're going to hit on like one out of every 10. But I was just happy. It was nice. It was good meeting Jackson Holiday. Um, and it's also good giving him a T-shirt. So anyway, he is, he is not going to be traded. I can confirm. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go back to June 30th. June 30th. So really you have uh, – you had the Carlos Santana Day last year. You have another – I think that was the 27th. And then you have the Steve Pierce Day. That was the 28th. I mean, I'm going back years upon this examples of early, early, early trades. This year, the Chapman trade of June 30th. June 30th will known forever be known is when the Rangers acquired Araldis Chapman, which I give him a ton of credit for um, because, number one, he was good. He's been good, and they've been pretty good. All right. My overall, my first take on this after looking at these guys, like, how did they do this? Like, this market that was supposed to be so difficult to make a trade in they get a closer, and I know the rental, but they get a closer for left-handed pitcher Cole. Ra- How do you Reagan's 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 yeah. Reagan's and uh, Rony Cabrera outfielder? Um, I mean, I'm not going to say anything more because I'm going to make myself look stupid. But did did they get over on Kansas City in your mind, or were you shocked by this? Well, I, it was two teams in very different positions. I mean, I think the Royals kind of did pretty well here. From the point of view, and again, I'm coming at this from like a prospect standpoint, but Araldis Chapman, when they signed him, was going down. I mean, nobody thought he was going to refine his form like he did, and you kind of hope that you could flip him for something. Now they get Cole Reagans, who's like a legitimate starting pitcher again, was trending towards being a reliever, has touched triple digits since the trade. I mean, they seem oh, really? to have found something. Yeah, they seem to have found something in Cole Reagans, and you he's controllable. So they were going to lose Chapman anyways. Reagans is the major piece of that deal. Um, he he's already a graduated prospect, so we didn't re-rank him or anything. Uh, but you get a potential starting pitcher, and the Royals have really struggled to develop pitching the last few years. They're kind of turning a corner now, but it's been a very slow turn. Um, so adding Reagans to that mix is big for them. And then Cabrera is a DSL guy. He's been doing significantly better this year, but he's repeating the level. We didn't rank him just because he's so far away, but he's a lottery ticket um, who's showing decent speed, putting the balls in the gaps in the DSL. I want to see him stateside. I'm a little surprised they pulled off the trade when they did, but I think they did that because that allows the Rangers to get Chapman for longer. 
You trade him oh, now, yeah. you're not going to get as much because so, he's a rental. So, so my initial thought, and I don't want to spend too much time on this one trade, but right, of course, but yeah, but but my initial thought was after looking at these guys because you was Reagan's was a first round pick, right? In 2016, I know he was pretty high up there. I yeah, I believe it was exactly first round pick. So you know, it was like it's been a while. You got this guy; he hasn't done much, and and also to your point, you got Chapman super early, and and you got a, a whole month ahead of time. Um, and what this market was going to be so difficult. Teams were holding out. You hear these stories about what teams are holding out for for guys with six ERAs, these starters, and 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 then so they make this deal. So immediately I'm like, oh well, why did they do this? But this is why again I'm happy you're here because if you tell me that Reagan's all of a sudden has become a guy and can be a major league starter, fine, I'm good. Congratulations, Royals. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. We'll talk about this with some of these other trades, too. What do you prefer? Some teams obviously prefer somebody who is close to the major leagues, um, like a Reagan. Some teams prefer guys who have high ceilings, who might be a few years away. They're, they're tougher sells to the fan base, but they're better prospects. They're going to make your farm system look better. So that was one where you get a little bit of both between Reagan's and Cabrera. So in your mind, who won that trade? I mean, it depends on what the Rangers do in the postseason, right? I mean, if they yeah. if they win an AL pennant, if they make the World Series, I, I think they win the trade no matter what. I don't think Reagan's is going to be an ace where you're looking back and like, oh man, why did we give up mm. him for Raldis Chapman? Yeah, but if you get a major if you get a major league starter, I'm going to say it. Like, if you get a major league starter, it's a good trade. Yeah, it's for a, a reliever, trade. one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to jump all the way to July 19th now. That was uh, almost uh, almost three weeks later. And the Orioles acquire Shintaro Fujinama, for, uh, Fujinami, excuse me, um, from the A's for left-handed pitcher Easton Lucas. Uh, the the thought was that Fujinami would be a guy who was driving the bullpen. He had shown better stuff in the bullpen. He had shown better results in the bullpen. Since then, he's been a little bit up and down. He had a rough uh, couple outings against the Rays. Um, but I'm anxious to get your take on Easton Lucas, the left-handed pitcher they get back. Yeah, I mean, Easton Lucas, fastball slider guy, he's averaging around 94 with the fastball and got a slider. I mean, the you look at the trade, and I think a lot of people at the time were just looking at the ERA and flipping out and being yeah. like, what are the Orioles doing? And there were a lot of good underlying metrics there. Lucas is just going to be a left-handed reliever, mm. but again, a controllable one. So if you're the A's, controllable is like the number one selling point. Like they were never going to get a top 25 prospect for him. But now you get a left-hander, you can automatically slot in your bullpen pretty quickly um, with that fastball slider, get some whiffs, especially on the slider, which is a pretty good sweeper. Uh, that That's just what the A's need to do. I mean, if he's not in your long-term plans, get him for somebody who, who yeah. you can stick in your bullpen for multiple years. Yeah, to me, it just comes, once again, it comes back to, are you going to get a guy who's going to be on a major league team that can contribute in some way? I mean, this isn't a huge deal. Um so and, and you know the and the Orioles taking a chance. I mean, they, they aren't taking that much of a chance because it's not like you know, as you said, they have this embarrassment of riches, and and also it's like this is it's gonna, not going to make a break if they trade this and Fujinami doesn't work out. So anyway, right. Uh, all right. So let's go to July twenty fourth, and a guy that I just interviewed and be in part of our trade deadline confession series which everyone's talking about, which is basically I ask what it's like to be traded the trade deadline. Uh, Pierce Johnson, a guy from the Rockies, a relief pitcher, and he gets traded for two guys, Victor Vodnik and right-handed pitcher Tanner Gordon. Uh, Pierce Johnson obviously is a reliever who started the year as a closer, 
um, has had some bumps in the road. Um, but, you know, the Braves acquire him. There's a u- reason why they did it. What do you think of these two guys that they gave up for him, Vodnik and Gordon? Yeah, I mean, Vodnik is the one that we kept in our Rockies top 30. Um, Gordon slipped out, so I'll spend more time on Vodnik. I mean, it, it, it does come down to the Rockies always need pitching. This is just who they are. If they're going to trade a, a pitcher like Pierce Johnson, they're always going to ask for pitching because it's super hard to develop pitching in that system. So if you can get somebody who's kind of halfway there, Vodnik is only a reliever um, at double A. That's what he's developed into. It's it's a fastball changeup look. Um, he's 23 years old already at double A, getting strikeouts at a decent rate, but he's going to walk guys. He could be like a seventh inning type. I, I don't think he's going to be a future closer by any means, um, but could be a reliable single inning reliever down the line, uh, which again, like the Rockies need to get for cheap. So it's not like an overly exciting deal. It's not, he's not a closer. He's not going to be up in the majors, I think by the end of this year. But again, you get a reliever who's already halfway through his development. uh, And that's, that's a pretty decent get, I think for the Rockies. Yes. And and I just include that one because we talked to Pierce Johnson. He told me that he, uh, he still had, needed a uh, electric toothbrush charger <laughs> so which is the, the the trials and tribulations of someone traded the deadline all right uh july 25th the next day dodgers choir kike hernandez who a lot of people thought was just going to get dfa from the red sox to be honest with you um for two two pitchers two minor league relievers nick robertson and justin hageman 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 i think it's hageman hageman i thought so i was doubting myself uh so Robertson, I know this is a big guy. He's a mountain right. of a man. Um, and so what, what's your take on those two guys? I mean, again, it's it's two reliever. Uh, Nick Robertson is number thirty on our Red Sox list right now. I think the Red Sox should just be kind of happy to get anybody from the Dodgers in that trade, like you were saying. Like he, they had to make a decision on their infield, and the fact that the Dodgers were the ones come calling and their really deep system was certainly promising. Uh, Nick Robertson, three decent pitches. Honestly, like when you look at the quality of the pitches, you kind of wonder why he isn't starting. Um, but you know, he's already 25 years old, six foot six, he's got a fastball slider changeup. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not, or I, I would be surprised if he doesn't get chances in the Boston bullpen soon. Um, he cracked through a little bit in LA. Uh, was a little bit surplus to, to requirements there, but he's got a, a decent package. The fastball can be bordering on plus plus slider and change, get above average grades from some evaluators. So there's stuff to work with there. It's just being on the older side, given his size, sometimes that's a little hard to control. Uh, but decent get for the Sox, who were probably, like you said, decently close to just losing Hernandez for free. Yeah. So the Dodgers are fasting. So this is as a quick aside. And, and maybe this relates to minor leaguers who go to these organizations, but we've done a lot on the podcast about the Rays, the secret sauce of the Rays. And now just the other day, Sam, we had Ryan Brazier on who out of nowhere started like becoming a world beater. Like, and so he told the story of when the Dodgers got him, he said, they said, we think you should throw a cutter by the way, and the pitch you had never, ever thrown. We're going to send you to Arizona, learn this pitch. He goes to Arizona, learns the pitch, boom, boom, boom. He's dominating. The Rays are more throw the ball over the plate, Jake Diegman, and you'll get guys out. You know, we'll get the strike too. But it is it is amazing that, you know, when you have these – and I don't know if you see it in this world, the world that you live in with these guys, of the these two teams particularly 
like have found found the we're going to get this guy and we're going to change him and he's going to be good, which I think is a trap for a lot of teams. Because <laughs> believe me, I see a lot of this where teams like, oh, well, I, well, we know that this guy has been, but if we do this to do that, do this and do that, we'll fix him. Well, these two teams have proven that they can do it. Not everybody has. So anyway. Right. I mean, yeah, whenever the Rays come calling in trades, and I think we've talked about this before, you should run. Like, it's it's just scary. If they find a prospect that they like, <laughs> it's because they've identified something that they can fix or they can work with. And the Dodgers, I mean, you talk about this, like, you look at their double-A rotation this year, it's been insanely good. They just, they know to how, how to identify what makes guys good and bring mm. the best out of them. I don't think it's a blanket or, or approach. They're not taking cutters to everybody. And just be no. like, hey, learn this pitch. It's the secret sauce. I think they just do a good job of identifying, hey, wh- who are you now? And what can we do to get you to that? But that's step? what's interesting about this is that I know that this is a very simplistic way to look at it. Subtly, they're different. So the Rays are more like, okay, pound, trust yourself. You throw the ball over the plate. The Dodgers are, we see this in you. And if you do this, we think it'll translate. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. So anyway, that's not what we're talking about. But I just wanted to remind everyone we had Ryan Brasher on the podcast the other day. Uh, all right. So um, now we're getting to the meat and potatoes. Now we get into the uh, the big fish. All right. Here we go. We knew the White Sox were going to sell, Sam. We knew they yep. were going to sell. And they got to turn this baby over. They have to hit on these. And, of course, the first one was Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez for Kai Bush and Ed- Edgar Caro. Caro, yes. I, I'm confident I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, maybe not. But am I pronouncing his name right? Yeah, Caro. Yep. Once again, I'm doubting myself. Uh, so what do you take away? In the, in the in, As you, everyone says the Giolito trade, Sam Dykstra says the Kai Bush trade. So what do you got? <laughs> I mean, I say the Caro trade before I say the Kai Oh, Bush all right. Trade. Okay. Yeah, but uh, Caro is a, is a fascinating one to me because – uh, coming into the year, he performed really well last year in the California League, had 17 homers, was showing an advanced approach. And then the, the Angels pushed him to double A. They do this a lot. They skip guys over high A. It's such a pitcher-friendly ballpark that they have there in Tri-City. So I I don't think they like sending guys there and watching their confidence crater because they're not hitting home runs. But then that forces them to get super aggressive. We see them do this all across their system. Guys get up to the major leagues very quickly. So they push Caro to double A. He had a really good approach there, really strong OBP, but he was slugging, I think, entering today, 332. Um, so the power's kind of gone away playing in that Southern League environment. So we were trying to figure out where to put him in the top 100. He might still factor into the back half, maybe around 80 or something like that. Uh, but for the White Sox, that's a potential, you know, your future catcher. I mean, if things come around with him defensively, he's not that great, but there's still lots to work with, only 20 years old tons of time for him to develop and again you trade away two rentals in giolito and lopez and get a you know back half of the top 100 talent is pretty good plus an arm uh that you can work with who already has some upper level experience so uh you know i i think caro is a little bit more of a headliner than uh i expected i i think a lot of people saw his ranking and said like oh he's really good and he's at he's 20 years old at double a that's really promising and it is He's not a farm system changing mm. prospect in the way that uh, it might look at first blush, but there's a lot to like there. Uh, and I think it's going to be a few years before we really see the best of Carroll make it to the South side. How about Kai Bush? Yeah, Kai Bush, uh, somebody who, again, like looked 
a little worse than his, what his actual ranking ended up being. Um, he checks in right now at number six in that White Sox system, which is not that great to begin with. Um, so they are building up a little bit. ERA eight thirty seven this year, uh, not great at Double A, but Double A that Southern League was playing with a pre tax ball for a while. I know some guys have kind of struggled to adjust to that in some cases. He'll get strikeouts. He's left-handed. That's certainly to his advantage. Um, he deepens the pitching core uh, for that White Sox group that wasn't very deep to begin with, but it, there's a ways to go with Kai Bush. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we'll get back to the White Sox in a second. July 27th, Brewers acquire the guy that when you acquire him, you automatically win, as evidenced <laughs> by the Seattle Mariners going 17-4 and four after they acquired him last year. Carlos Santana for shortstop Johnny Severino from the Brewers, uh, from the Pirates, go to the Pirates, Santana, um, go in the Brewers, and uh, Severino go to the Pirates. What's your take on Severino? Yeah, Severino was honestly number 31 on our Brewers uh, top oh, 30. Wow. So we, we had him kind of sitting in the chamber for a while. Uh, <laughs> now the Pirates are a deeper system, so he, he hasn't factored over there. He was one of their big signings a year ago. Um, signed for $1.23 million. There's some real power potential in there. He's got a strong arm. Uh, you know, you're probably looking at somebody who's going to be more of a third baseman than a shortstop. Um, but he transitioned from being a, a switch hitter. Now he only bats from the right side. So again, he, he's a lottery ticket for like Carlos Santana, who I don't think is necessarily yeah. a game changer. Like the Brewers need all the hitting help they can get, and that's decent. But like he's so far away, Severino, that I don't think it hurts the Brewer system. And for the Pirates, you know, you get a lottery ticket that now you have a longer runway to develop. And if they identify something in Severino, get a little bit more out of that hit tool. They have plenty of time to do so. Okay. So now we go to the the other team other than the White Sox that we sort of are anticipating. Once you go all in, you're going to go all in. And that's the Mets. July 28th, Marlins acquire David Robertson, another rental, relief pitcher, obviously, for two players, infielder Marco Vargas and catcher Ronald Hernandez. What's your take on those guys? I, a friend of mine who is a Mets fan asked me about this trade and asked me to grade it on a one to 10. I gave it an 8.5 for the Mets. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. I probably should have done it on the 2080 scouting scale because that's how I work and everything. Now. But <laughs> uh, let's go by 8.5. I, I think like a lot of people understand that yeah. a lot better. Vargas was somebody who was going to take a leap uh, in the Marlins rankings uh, when we do our re-rank, which is coming up in August. So he vaulted up to number six for the Mets. Um, and he, honestly, he might move even higher than that. I mean, this kid's shown a terrific approach last year in the DSL. He's gotten only better this year uh, in the Florida Complex League, only 18 years old, probably trending towards being a second baseman, but he has time at second or uh, at short and third as well. Uh, but yeah, it might end up being a plus hit tool, which is tough to find at those low levels. Uh, he's making terrific swing decisions that usually translate pretty well the higher you get. Um, so I think just getting him alone would be fantastic for the Mets, for David Robertson. Again, just not even half a year right. of him, and you trade him within the division. Uh, so there's even more of a premium there. But then you add Hernandez, who's like a pretty good defensive catcher, repeating a level this year, but has shown market improvement at the plate too, another lottery ticket. Uh, but it's pretty good. Like That's a that's a pretty good move for your closer. If, if you are going to wave the white flag and, and send some guys out, get somebody like Vargas, who I think we could be talking about in the top 100 uh, by this time next year, is, is a pretty good get. All right. The, my first uh, comparison – who do you think did better, the Chapman trade or the Robertson trade? Oh, the Robertson trade. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. 8.5. 8. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, 
Reagan's is, and this is what we we're talking about before about like you get Reagan's who's basically major league ready. It literally is. I mean, he's pitched in the major leagues before over somebody long-term like Vargas. And I just think hit tools translate. Up, oh, you there? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry. That was me. Froze up. Oh, good. So, uh, okay. All right. Uh, all right. July. Well, this was, this is a big one. This was the big one. You know why? Dodgers acquire Lancelin <laughs> and the Godfather, Joe Kelly, for the White Sox for Nick Nestrini. Am I, am I pronouncing his name correct? Correct. I apologize to all these families who are I'm butchering their names. Jordan Leisure, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Trace Thompson, I know their family very well. Um, but uh so another another the, the so you had already done you had already done Giolito and you knew that the White Sox were gonna do Lance Lynn. Lance Lance Lynn, how about that? I mean, I think there was a day before everyone had him traded to the Rays, basically. Right. And, yeah. and and uh and I know that the Rangers were sniffing around hard that day on July twenty eighth, the day that they made this deal. They were sniffing around hard on both these guys. Um, but you know, the White Sox take the deal with the Dodgers. Um so uh yeah. So I mean I I'm really intrigued, not only because, you know, I, I and uh it lands, forget it, Joe. Joe will obviously dominate with Dodgers as he did the first day and gets a standing ovation, whatever. It's fine. But the Lance Lynn thing is like, this is going to be a test for the Dodgers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, there are so many people who are like sniffing around that Lynn trade. There's like, I know his URA has been bad, but like the underlying metrics have been good. He seems like somebody who's about to flip a switch and, and be really good in the second half. And you want to be, the team that has him on on your staff when that happens, yeah, especially you're still banking on it happening, like it hasn't happened yet, right? So, so do you? So this is uh, this is a, this is one where I'm really going to lean on you. I mean, what do you think that the White Sox got back for these guys? Yeah, I mean, Nick Nestrini, I think, is now their second best pitching prospect uh, in that White Sox system. I mean, he was somebody who was kind of. Sniffing around the top 100 coming into the year has been really good at double A part of that Tulsa staff that I was talking about before that has just been really dominant in the Texas league um, controls it's taken a little bit of a step back this year. Uh, it's always been a big issue for him, but he's got three really good pitches four even really good pitches in his fastball curveball slider and change all of which, you know, some people think are above average. It's just, can he pitch enough in the zone? Um, so now he's going to be working on that in the white Sox system. But again, like, he could be a future number three starter if that control gets reined in a little bit. Uh, and that's a big get. I mean, uh, you know, it, Lance Lynn, they were ranking on being better than that, but Nick Nestrini could be their number three for multiple years, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a pretty solid return. Like the Dodgers have arms to trade, so this doesn't hurt them too bad. Uh, but, you know, Nestrini could be a, a guy, I don't think he's going to be better than Noah Schultz necessarily, but could be somebody we're talking about in a long time for the White Sox and and um you circle this and be like how did they get this guy what did <laughs> how did this get allowed to happen and I think the Dodgers <laughs> just got to a point where like hey if we are actually being serious about uh the NOS this year we need to go for it and get those other two so we can deal from a place of strength 
Yeah, listen. If you get a start, if you get a guy who's going to be in your rotation, you win. Like you look going for it. The, the last two months obviously don't matter. The White Sox, they had to get they had to get back major leaguers. They had to turn this roster over. And speaking of which, they didn't stop there. Right after that trade went down, you had Kendall Graveman going for the White Sox for catch another catcher, another catcher, Corey Lee. So without you saying anything, we haven't even got to the Scherzer deal yet. Of all the trades, everyone was screaming and yelling about Corey Lee. This, this is the White Sox did so well with Corey Lee. What's your take on this? I, I mean, he's a decent get for Kendall Graveman, but as like a prospect, I'm a little out on Corey Lee. To be honest with you, his offensive numbers have gone down this year. Um, one of the best things about him is that he's always had a plus plus arm, but he doesn't throw out runners in the way that you would hope for that type of skill set. Uh, and then that's a huge part of today's game. Uh, is being able to throw guys out. I mean, if that's how you're going to provide value, you need to be able to do it because guys are running left and right. Uh, and he just hasn't done that this year at AAA. There's a reason why he didn't break through to Houston or, or really stick there. Um, so I, I feel like he's trending the wrong direction offensively. Defensively, if he's going to be an arm-first guy, he needs to be more accurate or have a better caught stealing rate. So we have him at number 13 now. Wouldn't be surprised if he slips again when we do mm. re-rank. He's a backup catcher. For me, like if you're looking at Caro is a potential future starter, yeah, uh, because of how good the offense is. Lee is your future backup. Well, that's why you would just answer my question. You, you like you like Caro over Lee, not even yeah, close. and and it's also that, that plays something into it is is how much development time they'll have. I mean, Caro is only 20 years old. Lee is 25. Like mm-hmm. he needs to be a backup catcher by the end of this year uh, if he's really going to live up to. His ceiling, and it's kind of sad because, like, his first—he was a first-round pick years ago, thirty-second overall in two thousand nineteen. You had hoped he would have been a starting catcher, and it just hasn't worked out that way. Do you think? Do you think? And you said, you know, okay, you get this back for Graveman, but Graveman's a good pitcher, man. Like, do you think they could have got more for Graveman? I'm sure they probably could have. I'm sure there were probably offers out there for like two or three guys who are like single A types. Uh, but but they like the White Sox, Lee better than you. What? They like Corey Lee better than you do like Corey Lee. Yeah, maybe they do. I mean, maybe they're seeing something I'm not, and maybe they just value the fact that he's basically major league ready. Like, I don't think the White Sox are ready to trade like Luis Robert and have a full go at a rebuild. They they might value some pieces that are a little bit closer, and Corey Lee is definitely one of those. Okay. So now last one, and, you know, by the time this is published, there are probably going to be a bunch of other trades, but we can only work with what we have right now. Uh, and this is what everyone's talking about, which is the Acuna trade. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously Scherzer, it, it's it's a perfect example. You pay more money to get the better prospect. And there's a lot more that goes into it. You get the extra year. He's so forth and so on, whatever. All right. I'm fascinated to get your take on this one. What do you got? What do you got? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the money. I I almost wonder if there was in as part of these negotiations, the Mets are like, "Hey, we'll give this much. How much? What kind of prospect do we get for this?" And like the Rangers just slowly worked their way up the rankings. <laughs> like, I wonder if they decided, "Hey, if we just give you all the money for Scherzer, like he'll pitch for you for free next year," would they have gotten Evan Carter, who is we have as a top ten overall prospect? Maybe I don't know. I'm not in those rooms, so I, yeah. I haven't told that one way or another. I think Acuna is a pretty solid get for the Mets for multiple reasons. Um, he's a guy who plays short. He plays second. He even sprinkled in a little center field because he was playing in the shadow of Corey Seager and Marcus Semien, two key pieces, long-term pieces of what they're doing in Texas. So now he's out of their shadow. 
now he's in the shadow of Francisco Lindor, but I think he can be a really good defensive second baseman. Hmm. Um, so we're looking at a double play partnership as early as next season. He's consistently hit for average basically everywhere he's gone, including this year at double A Texas or double A Frisco. Uh, you look at his splits month by month. He's always hovering around 300. You kind of want that to go up as the season goes along, but the fact that he started out so hot at such a young age at an advanced level was certainly promising. There is power in there. You'll see some swings, and he looks almost exactly like his brother. Shorter. Mm-hmm. Pretty significantly short. He's like around 5'9". Oh, but, wow. but the swing is eerily similar. It's almost like they grew up in the same house uh, under the same father who played minor league baseball for the Mets. <laughs> so... You can see it in there. He needs to elevate the ball better. I think that's something that comes along a little bit later in development, but there's potential for like 15 to 20 homers eventually. He always steals bases. He's a top 50 prospect for us. He's going to be the Mets' top prospect, barring another blockbuster coming, um, and he's going to be ready by next year. So like, if you thought Scherzer was going to opt out at the end of the year and you decided, hey, we're not going to resign him after a down year, hey, now you get a top 50 prospect for him, and all it took you was money which mm-hmm. as we know the Mets have tons of right right and, and we also know some of the deals they made signing all these big free agents last year was because they didn't want to trade from their farm system they want to build up the system it's not there yet where it's a top 10 system and Acuna is not going to put them over like that but he definitely adds to their depth and gives them I, I won't say a potential star but a potential above average regular right there at the top, which every team would love to have. Yeah, it's interesting you said that. I heard that from somebody else about last year's trade deadline that the Mets were really clinging to their guys. Yep. Vientos was the only one they were sort of a little bit flexible and potentially given up. But, uh, but yeah, for the for the most part, they were really clinging to the guys. So you, in synopsis, you like this. I mean, you think that, you know, this is a big deal, right? It's a big deal not only because it's Scherzer, but – you're getting another year of the guy. I don't whatever he's paid more than anybody. It's fine, but it's a big deal. So you like the return they got the Mets got on Scherzer? Yeah, I I, I do. I, I think you know this is if you're going to start moving into sell mode, um, getting a top 100 prospect back for a guy you were kind of running cold on anyways this year is pretty decent. Um, I don't, I don't care about the money. Like that doesn't, that doesn't matter to me. It matters what you get back. And if they were paying enough to get a top 50 prospect, good on them. Um, and you know, it, it, like I said, I think we're, we're going to see Acuna as early as next year. So it's that perfect balance of getting ceiling and near readiness. All right. So the last thing I'll ask you is let's do top three, top three guys, prospects that you like, um, that you like in, in, in teams getting back and it doesn't have to be, you know, I imagine Cooney's pro- probably like in the list, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the, you just you, like, there is an element of this and you're so good at it, but there is an element of, Hey, I see this. I just like this. I mean, it's the same thing with teams. Right. We just mentioned Corey Lee. Well, the white Sox, maybe they see something and, and, um, and we, we, we defer and we default to to rankings and listings and everything. Sometimes, and you, you guys probably even do it when you're trying to make the rankings and listings. Like, hey, how come we're doing this slow? I like this guy better, whatever. Anyway, what's your top three guys that are prospects that are coming back? Yeah, so um, right right now, it's Acuna at one. Yeah. Caro at two. Okay. And then it's a real debate in my head between Nostrini and Vargas at three. Okay. I like Personally, how you like Vargas a lot. Yeah, I, I really like Vargas. I think he, 
hit tool is the most difficult tool to develop. I mean, it's the most difficult thing to do in sports. And the fact that he's already doing it at this level uh, and going to develop from here, I think, is really, really promising. Now, it could go south, like maybe the Mets do something with him, try to mess with him or change something in him and, and do something the Marlins weren't. But it's really there right now. It, <laughs> I think when we end up, because I'm writing the story of like ranking all the prospects traded at the deadline. Yeah. We come out with it. It's probably going to be Nostrini ahead of him just okay. by a touch because of major league readiness and and his his pitches that he's shown already. But don't be surprised if we look back on this list and be like, Vargas was too low. This is good. I'll let you workshopping your article. I mean, it's yeah. nothing better. I know people are going to listen to this and they'll be like, wait a second. You said this. On the no, no, this, listen, this is what changed by Tuesday. It's called it's called workshopping. It's all good. It's all right. good. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am going to. Um, at the trade deadline, I will be texting you to say, hey, Sam, please make me look smart. I'm on TV <laughs> right now, and uh, I need I need some guidance. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I really appreciate it. This is, this is – you're always valuable, but you're a, a tremendously valuable. <laughs> if we're no I other, know, this is – yeah. Go ahead. This is one of our craziest times of the year uh, for obvious reasons, but also exciting. Like uh, when that Scherzer trade went through last night – I got so pumped because it was a one-for-one one challenge trade. Oh, right. And it's just talent for talent. And I, I get energized by that. Stuff. I know. I'm getting so sick of like that. We got five guys back. I don't want to hear about it. Right. Anyway. All right.